All right, I know we need to jump right into Tertullian on baptism, because that's what we've been working on now for 10 plus hours. But before we can, do I, well, I only have two chapters to go. We'll, we'll go back and review a little bit of the last chapter, and then we'll try to, uh, we'll try to knock out the last two of Tertullian. We're going to try. That's the goal. We only got two chapters to go. That's the, that's the goal. But, I try. But before we do that, I have, because there's going to be lots of people tuning in right now trying to find out what happened. Um, and so I'm giving them a second to all tune in after they got their notifications because a lot of people are going to be like, what just happened? Because a lot of things was happening starting around, I guess, 6 o'clock that y'all probably don't even know was happening. And so a lot of people are tuning in wanting to know what happened. I was getting ready for church, right? I'm getting ready. And all of a sudden, as all, most of you know, obviously, you know, we have an internet ministry and a part of the internet ministry, we have a discord server. And the reason we have a discord server is for all those who uh, participate in the Bible study exercise. They can come there, share their homework. They can do all of that. They can chat, ask questions. And so it's turned into, it. we haven't made it a huge thing, but it's, it's, it's grown a little bit by little bit. And the people there participate with everything, they answer the questions, they work on everything, so it, it's really been good. It's, it's what kind of, a, the first time I created something like that is kind of what I envisioned it to be, and it didn't turn into that, and then, and now it kind of started going the direction I wanted it to go, and started doing what I wanted it to do. So I was super happy about it, it was great, wonderful. Well, at about, I don't, I don't even know what time it was, like I said, I was getting ready for church, and all of a sudden, Stacy's like, hey, what's going on in the Discord Server And I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on in the Discord server. I don't even have my iPad. What's going on? So she shows me her phone, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Someone with QAnon entered the channel. And you know that I have recorded a number of podcast episodes dealing with QAnon, and it's not made me very popular with people who hold the QAnon conspiracy theory. And so basically, I'll try to summarize for those listening online who watched it unfold in real time. I may not get all the words right because I'm still pretty upset. They basically said, you need to delete all the episodes you've done on QAnon immediately. And I said, well, what happens if I don't? And basically, it says you should just do it and you should do it now. And while I'm trying to negotiate, they deleted the entire server gone. Yeah, all, our Discord server gone. They must have hacked the account and deleted everything. So, um, so I'm, I'm a little upset. Now, on one hand, I'm not so upset. I mean, whether we had the Discord thing or there or not, I mean, uh, I wanted it to be a certain way. So I, I was, you know, if, if I decided, well, this is not really going the direction I want it to go, that's one thing to get rid of it. But you feel almost violated when someone else, I mean, they didn't give me, they gave me no time. They basically like, I think I was still, I think I was still typing. When all of a sudden, everything was gone. Everything was just wiped out, gone. And so I don't know what I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do is obviously I'm, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do anything about trying to get back on Discord for at least a month. I'm going to wait a month. 
because obviously if someone's out there trying to do something, the last thing, if I try, then they're trying, and then it's back. I'm not going to go. I, I got better things to do with my life than fi- fighting to keep a Discord server going when I produce like 900 episodes of our podcast a year. I got better things to do than fighting over a Discord server. So I'm going to wait, and then I'll try to wait and see what I want to do or how I want to reshape it or how I want to accomplish it. I'll come up with some idea. But uh, yeah, so I, I just had to explain it because a lot of people were probably like, wait, where's Discord this evening? It's gone. What just happened? And that's what happened. And so I'm, I'm kind of upset. I'm, I'm getting more upset over the principle of it because it's basically like, we don't like what you have to say. You're going to delete it. And if you don't delete it, we're going to delete you. So, and so I, so I'm a little, like, like if, you know, like I said, I, you know, there's even times for me, I'll be like, well, do I really want to do this? Do I not? Okay. Right. So, you know, and, and well, I just, I just hope, I just hope that they're now not going to try to go to say our podcast hosting site. If they got to that, that would be like 4,000 episodes would be gone that would be insane so um that's that's what's happened i yeah like i said if it was up to me and i decided well you know the discord server is not really going the way i want it to go and then i decided to do it it would bother me a little bit because it stopped being what i wanted it to be but you can live with that but when it's taken out of your hands (laughs) and you're like what just happened What, what just happened um that, that bothers me. But I am going to give it a month at, at a minimum. And then we'll, I'll, I'll wait and see. In the meantime, I'll come up with some ideas and I'll be doing broadcast about it and let everyone know. So everyone listening who's like, what happened? That's what happened. It was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. Stacy showed me her phone and I'm like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. And then within, it felt like within 15 to 20 minutes, it was over. It was gone. I mean, they didn't even give me they didn't give me a, a, a second. But I, but I basically told them I, I, I can't, I'm not going to take down the podcast episodes. And... Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I guess. So that's what happened. So that, I didn't, I wanted to do it as a separate episode, so but. They only take down your yeah. Server. No, not all of Discord. No, no way. Yeah, just just our server. Yeah, yeah, our server. Right. God, it's what's called your server. It's called your server. Right. So yeah, it's gone. It's no more. It's it's gone. Okay. I don't know. So, but I mean, I. So so we'll 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 cross that bridge later. It's not it's not the most important thing. But I just knew that there would be people tuning in tonight, going, "What's going on?" So I had to address it. But trust me, I don't want to be addressing it now. But that's the only opportunity. So, with all of that said, let's do what we came here to do. All right, Tertullian. All right, Tertullian. What's why? What are we currently working on other than Tertullian? Just so that we everyone is on the same page. We decided to start looking at three very important historical documents in regards to baptism in the church. Right? Okay. And those three documents are number one, the Didache, or sometimes pronounced. Didache, depending on which book. Literally, you can get two books and they will put out how to pronounce it and it'll be, I'm like, it's the K or key, which, which is it? But typically, I think it's referred to as the Didache. I think typically, but all right, whichever. And what was significant about the Didache or the Didache? 
Well, one of the earliest writings we have in the history of Christianity, right? Two, most Christians don't know it exists. Three, when it talked about baptism, it was pretty simple and pretty straightforward, right? Basically, how does it work? Before someone can be baptized, they have to be instructed. Second, they need to, well, they need to fast. Remember, there's fasting that precedes it. Next, baptize into water. Next, cold water. Next, moving water. And then if all of that fails, basically, you can pour water. And it appears a three, did, did, did it not seem to indicate a three pouring in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yeah, three times in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it showed a Trinitarian formula. Very good. Showing an early an early kind of Trinitarian formula within church history, right? And the next time we kind of see a Trinitarian formula would be in the Apostles' Creed, right? Because I believe in God, I believe in Jesus the Son, and I believe in Holy Spirit. Remember three sections of the, of the Creed? Are all given a Trinitarian formula, all right? So there were some significant things about the Didache. What did it not mention in any way, shape, or form? Children, number two. Did not necessarily, did definitely did not speak of it in a sacramental way. Did not mention in a sacramental way. Third, what else did it not do? Did not seem to speak of it in a regenerative way, as it brings about regeneration. And it did not really even connect it to salvation. Agreed? All right, that's the Didache. All right, we could say a lot more. Then we, the next document we started looking at is Tertullian on Baptism. Now, before we mention it, and what's going to be the third document we're going to look at? Hippolytus on the, uh, the apostolic tradition, right? Hippolytus on the apostolic tradition. Everybody remember that? Right? We haven't got to that, but we will, all right? Uh, and, but right now, we're looking at Tertullian. We've come really close to finishing it. We've got three chapters to go. How would we describe Tertullian on baptism in the, what, 17, 18 chapters that we've looked at? Definitely sacramental. He even refers to it as a sacrament. What's a sacrament? Visible means of grace, which we, are, we reject sacramental system. We would hold to what kind of a system? Ordinate system, which means something God ordained for us to do, but it does not have salvific, regenerative, or, get, or is a means of grace. Okay, does that make sense? Right? Okay, and next about Tertullian, right? Clearly, he makes it salvific as it washes away sins. In fact, he goes so far to say it's necessary for salvation, but this is where Tertullian gets really weird because he seems to contradict that in different places by claiming that either A, some people could be saved without it, like the apostles, which, wait a minute, if it's required, how can it not be required, right? He, and then, but then he would turn around and, tur- turn around and say, he, can't, he doesn't understand that how you can have this kind of faith without it, which seems to indicate that baptism produces faith. But then in other places, he seems to indicate one must have faith in order to be baptized. Remember, we've kind of gone this back and forth, back and forth. And, and, our, and why do we think it's so contradictory? Why do we think Tertullian appears to be so contradictory? Either one, 
we're, we've just completely mis, in, you know, not interpreted him correctly. And I, and I don't believe that that's fair. I, I think we've done a pretty good job. I think we've tried to be as fair as we can be. Because trust me, I could have just taken Tertullian like most people would, go through, find the, ref, the quotes that I wanted, quote Tertullian, tell you this is what Tertullian thought. You would have walked away saying, that's what he thought. And, but I did not do that. We have done what? Read every single word, and most churches would not even attempt to do that, all right? Most articles would not even attempt to do that. We've stumbled and fumbled through it, but we've read it, okay, right? Whatever, whatever weakness anyone would have in my presentation, they can't criticize the fact that we have been as fair as fair can be, have we not? We've even struggled with how to interpret some of the paragraphs, and we've even had disagreements here, have we not? Well, I think it could be this. I can't I think. It, and I, it wasn't that we're arguing. It's just that it's difficult to even know what he's saying sometimes. Agreed? So I think we've been very fair. So I don't think it's a misrepresentation. I think the contradictory nature of it is present. And so what would be another possible explanation for the contradictory nature? Right. Well, I, I think, and I think that's true. But let's say that. Let's say it this way. I think part of the reason why it could have been so contradictory is when is he writing? What's the date for a Tertullian that we gave? Early two hundreds, right? Early two hundreds. What do we not have in early two hundred A.D.? A completed canon. All right. Number two. What else do we not have? We haven't even had the, other than the Council of Jerusalem, we haven't even had the seven ecumenical councils, right? So we don't even know, we know he makes references to some scripture, but when he makes reference to scripture, what does he typically do? Well, he makes, he doesn't even give the, in some cases, the whole quote, and in some cases his quote contains things that's not even in the text. Right? So we don't know what he's referencing. Like, we don't know what manuscript he's referencing. We don't, there's a lot there we don't know. So we can't put, we can't blame him. Like, in some ways we're like, well, why is he all over the place? Look at the time he lived. What was he going to do? You know, hop on his iPhone and look up 15 articles on baptism? Was he going to do a concordance search? No. So he was trying to figure it out like everyone else, Yes. Okay, so I think that, and another possible reason why he seems contradictory is he's using a very weird hermeneutic, is he not? What's basically his hermeneutical approach? I mean, basically, if the word water shows anywhere in the Bible, immediately it's baptism. And it's just like, well, how do you, that doesn't work, does it? Okay, so... That, that's some of the issues we've had with Tertullian. All right, what chapters do we have left to cover? This is going to be the shortest sermon in the history of sermon. Okay, no, you know I'm joking. Okay, what, do I? 19 and 20, and 19 is called? Are the times most suitable for baptism. Now, if we go back to 18, I know that's dangerous, right? I know that's dangerous. We did have some struggles with 18, did we not? Okay, what was our main struggles with 18? Does anybody remember where we had our major issue? 
Did we not have problems with the, with the sentence that begins, for why is it necessary if baptism itself is not so necessary? We had lots of problems with that sentence, did we not? And there was, and uh, some people asked me online, like, so what, because they couldn't hear you guys. So they were, they were asking, what was your church, what, what was their problem? Like, they couldn't have, and so I, I'm like, well, I don't really know if I know what the problem was. So I, I don't. So what was the issue? Does anybody remember? Like when we say, well, I thought the issue was, is he saying baptism is necessary or is he saying it's not necessary? People online, okay, people online thought y'all were saying something else was necessary, and I and I'm like, well, I don't know what they were saying to be honest. So I'm like, I, I, I your guess is as good as mine. So. Right. So did we ever come to an agreement that did we feel Tertullian was saying it wasn't necessary or was we feeling that he was saying it was necessary? Why? Well, clearly he seems to be saying it's not, but a lot of people were like, well, what is he referring to? It seems to me, we, we definitely know this. In this chapter, he's telling us to delay baptism. He, he's telling them to delay baptism for whom? Little children. And he seems to imply that it's not necessary almost because they're in a state of innocence, meaning it's not necessary, right? So you can delay. Right? Remember we read that and talked about that, which brought up all kinds of issues of what, what theological system? Pelagianism, okay, which we would reject, and everyone in the early church rejected because Pelagius was condemned as a heretic. But clearly Tertullian is going with an idea that they're not born a sinner, right? He's going with a, clear, a clearly different idea. So he's, I think you can argue whether, however, I know that sentence is weird because he places it in the parentheses, yes? And everyone's like, well, how do you read it if you remove the parentheses? And then how do you read it if you read it back into it? I understand that. But we can agree that what came before, he made an argument that baptism is not necessary for children so we can delay because they're innocent. That is emphatically clear, Yes? However, earlier in the book, what did he claim? Salvation is required for what? Salvation. There's the contradiction. So when he says it's not necessary, we can at least acknowledge in some ways he's saying it's not necessary for children because he's offered an argument for their innocence. Yes? Okay, can we at least agree on that? All right. Oh, wait. (laughs) Stephen's going to be like, no, we're not going to agree on that. No, 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 I need to know, I need to know. My question was, that, that wording he said, uh, may uh, in the development of uh, physical disposition for us kids, he's understanding that it's already Well, he's already made previously that they're innocent. Right? Previously, he's already said it's not, that you can delay it because it's not immediately necessary. Later on, he's, he's telling the, what, he's given an explanation to why the sponsors should be hesitant to do so. And why should they be hesitant to do so? Because the child could be baptized, develop an evil disposition, which, of course, already is a Pelagius perspective. But he seems to imply that if you get baptized and then develop an evil disposition, that you're really in bad shape. It's almost, it's better to do what, according to him? 
to delay and not be baptized than to be baptized and do something bad after, which is a major mess theologically. All right? So do, do we feel confident with that chapter now, maybe? Possibly? Okay, I hope so. If you don't feel comfortable with it, right, if you don't feel comfortable with it, please, by all means, um, no, 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 keep reading. And then if you have it, I just, just, just kind of motion for me to come near you so people online can go, what in the world is your church talking about? But I had to tell them, I don't know what my church is talking about. So I like, I don't know. I don't know. So, because it was, because they were like, well, what, what's going, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Okay. So, because I was, my mind was thinking, look, is it necessary, not necessary? And they felt that you guys were saying that something else was necessary and not baptism. I'm like, I don't really know what was happening there. But I think you guys were more preoccupied with how to understand the sentence, right? Y'all were focused, I think Stacy and you were focused on, wait, what, what's in the parentheses here, right? And, and how it relates to the rest of the sentence. And I was like, guys, He's already said it's not necessary because he said the children are innocent. So I, I was looking at it from a different perspective. Y'all were looking at it using grammar, and I'm like, I don't need grammar here because I, he's already made it clear that it's not necessary. Right? So I was just reading into it, and y'all were like, no, grammatically, that's not how it, and I'm like, stop with your, yeah, I, and that's good that y'all are trying to be honest. I felt that he's already gave it away in the previous section, if that makes sense. All right. So that leads us to the next, we have 30 minutes to do this. Here we go. All right. So the next chapter is the most suitable time for baptism. I don't think there's going to be any problem with this. Okay? I don't think so. Are we ready? Here we go. Of the most suitable time for baptism, according to Tertullian, when is the most suitable time for baptism? Go. All right. Does everyone agree that he seems to indicate in this chapter the most suitable time for baptism is Passover? Is that not interesting? That he goes with Passover as the time. Now, clearly, once again, let's just make this clear. What's fascinating is, once again, people who argue, well, the early church said, the early church said, does anybody follow this practice? No, typically in some, in some traditions, when, when do they baptize new converts? Easter, right? Okay, this, they're saying Passover, which is just is interesting. Okay. It says the Passover affords a more than usually solemn day for baptism, when withal the Lord's passion in which we are baptized was completed. Nor will it be incongruous to interpret figuratively the fact that when the Lord was about to celebrate the last Passover, he said to the disciples who were sent to make preparation, you will, see, you will meet a man bearing water. <laughs> Luke 22.10. Everyone look up Luke 22.10 really quick. All right, Luke twenty two ten. I'll read it. <laughs> but once again, what did he do? He found water. He found water. <laughs> yeah, don't you love his interpretation? All right, Luke twenty two ten. 
Oh, boy. All right, since they're preparing for Passover, right? In fact, in some Bibles, it, this section is even labeled Passover preparations, right? So in Luke twenty-two ten, verse 9, he says, And they said unto him, Where wilt thou, where wilt thou that we prepare? Verse 10, He said unto them, Behold, when, you, when ye are entered into the city, there shall, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water, Follow him into the house and where he entereth in. And so what did he do? How, what was his hermeneutical approach to this? Well, Jesus was preparing for the Passover. They found water. So that proves that baptism should happen when? Passover. But I'm sure he ran into people with water at different times, right? Can you think of other times? Let's see. Oh, how about John 4 when he met the woman at the well, which we've been studying? Or the pool, right? Okay, yes. Uh, yeah, so, right, I mean, I think there's lots of times. Right, just because you have water doesn't mean anything, but isn't that crazy? That's the way he, he decided to approach this? He points out the place for celebrating the Passover by the sign of water. After that, Pentecost is the most joyous space for conferring baptisms, wherein, too, the resurrection of the Lord was repeatedly proved among the disciples and the hope of the advent of the Lord indirectly pointed to in that, at that time, when he had been received back into the heavens, the angel told the apostles that he would so come as he had withal ascended into the heavens. At Pentecost, of course. So, what are the two good times, I guess? Passover and Pentecost. But moreover, when Jeremiah says, and I will gather them together from the extremities of the land and the feast day, he signifies the day of Passover and of Pentecost. Oh, we could have some issues here, all right? Which is properly a feast day. Which, which passage in Jeremiah is he referencing? Anybody have a note? All right, no note. I, I'm going to look. I could be wrong. I think it's 31.8. I think it's 31.8. Let's look at it. Look for Jeremiah 31.8. Let's see. I'm a, little, I'm a little skeptical here. All right, look. Okay, yes. Look at uh, Jeremiah 31.7. Now, see, this comes back to hermeneutics again, yes? Because look what's going to happen. Jeremiah 31, 7, For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them with the coast of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither. Now stop right here. This is a promise of, rest, of the regathering of Israel. You've only got two options in how to interpret it. What are the two options in, in how to interpret this? Tertullian's offering a third, but what is the typical two options in, in, in interpreting this passage? Well, if it already happened, when would you point to? All right, them coming out of Babylonian captivity. Second would be the regathering of Israel and some future regathering, which obviously has not occurred. And so some may try to say 1948 was a partial when Israel you know, started as a nation, but they haven't all regathered there, right? Uh, they still don't have the land, all right? So most people would say then there is a 
future regathering of Israel where all the promises will be given to them. And sometimes we re- that is sometimes referred to as the millennial kingdom because there's no other place to really place the regathering of Israel. Okay. Then what? And the Tertullian is giving a third interpretation. What was his interpretation? He gives the third one right there in the book. It's an open book. Best kind of test, right? It's the best kind of test. When the answer's right in front of you, right? Multiple choice tests, they're always the best. They give you the answer. Come on, what's this, what's this third... Well, not baptism. No? Do y'all not see it? Do y'all need me to read it again? Well, go down to the very sentence where he says, where Jeremiah says. Okay? And he says, and I will gather them together from the extremities of the land in the feast day. He signifies, there's the interpretation. What does he signify? What is, what is he claiming Jeremiah was signifying? The day of Passover. The day of Passover that, 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 that promise of regathering occurred when? At Pentecost and Passover. You get it? You see it? He's interpreting that passage as being prophetic and it was fulfilled where? Pentecost and Passover. Everybody see it? Which is properly a feast day. Meaning, what, what does he mean by a feast day? Right, remember how the church has set up special feast day, right? Okay. Everybody understand that? So he offered a third interpretation. That's important, guys. That's important because if we don't, do we interpret Jeremiah the way Tertullian promises here or offers here that that was fulfilled at Pentecost? I, I have a hard time with that saying that that was fulfilled at Pentecost, right? Because I don't think, I mean, there were people gathered from all, all over the place, but that's not the regathering of Israel, okay? That's not. And, and if you do go with that, what would naturally flow from that interpretation? What would naturally flow from the interpretation that Jeremiah was prophesying what happened at Pentecost? What would be the natural thing? Well, no, there's a natural thing that would flow from it. Because we say Pentecost is typically, some refer to it as the birth of the, so that it was fulfilled in the church. There you go. That would be naturally flow from it. You see? See that problem? Well, yeah, yeah, we've already, we've already worked through that, but I'm just saying if you take it to its logical progression. He goes, however, every day is the Lord's. Every hour, every time is apt for baptism. So, and really this whole chapter is kind of useless because there is a difference in the solemnity distinction. There is none in the grace. In other words, there may be, there may be a distinction in the significance of the day, but the grace you receive through baptism, once again making it sacramental, is the same. All right, we got that? That was simple, straightforward. Yep. All right, you didn't even need my help on that one, did you? Yeah, 
Passover and Pentecost. Yeah, yeah, any day is okay. All right, so, I know, I know. It's kind of a weird chapter. All right, so that brings us to the last one. Can we do this? All right. This last chapter, what's it called? A preparation for and conduct after the reception of baptism. All right, so how to prepare for baptism and how to act after baptism. All right, here we go. They who are about to enter baptism ought to pray with repeated prayers, fast and bendings of the knee and vigils all the night through and with the confession of all bygone sins that they may express the meaning even of the baptism of John. Stop right here. Okay, so before you can be baptized, what do you need to do? Everyone make, write a list of all of those things he just declared. What do you need to do? What's the first one? Pray. pray. Fasting. Okay, all right. Bending of knee. Uh, Vigils. Confession of all bygone sin. Throughout? Throughout the night. In other words, this is a, basically a 24-hour prayer meeting where you stay up all night doing all of these things before you baptize. Now, immediately, what would that seem to call into question? I don't think an infant's going to be doing any of that, right? So, once again, this would argue against infant baptism. Once again, everyone says the early church, the early church. Does anyone practice baptism this way? No. no. So once again, they, they, so what do we constantly see in the, in the church? Maybe a short meeting. Yeah, right. But I just want, what I want you to see from all of this, remember the reason we went through all of this is because of that whole meeting I had and I, I kind of got high, you know, I kind of got ambushed and all of those people attacked me like, what about the early church? I mean, clearly they haven't read the early church because if they read the early church, well, then don't argue with me. Start practicing what the early church said to practice. And nobody practices it that way. So therefore, the early church is only authoritative when? When it's convenient or they agree with it. And so I, I can't stand that approach. Either they are or they aren't there. And, and you do all of this because you want to express the meaning of which baptism? The baptism of John, everybody see that? They were baptized, saith the scripture, confessing their own sins. Everybody see that? Right? And what scripture is that? Is that not Matthew 3 6? Everybody look at Matthew 3 6 and see if I'm correct or if I'm wrong. Is it 3.6? What does Matthew 3.6 say? All right, they were baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, immediately, why is this significant? They had to confess their sins, meaning that this would eradicate, can't be infants, right? So once again, infant baptism would not be in, in light here, right? Okay. To us, it is a matter for thankfulness, if we do now publicly confess our iniquities, for we do at the same time both make satisfactions for our former sins by mortification of our flesh and spirit and lay before, beforehand the foundation of defenses against the temptations which will closely follow. All right, so basically we are, when we are baptized, what are we doing? We're confessing our iniquities, yes? Somehow making a satisfaction for our former sins, which is somewhat concerning, right? 
because that would be us making a satisfaction for our former sins. And how are our former sin? How is our former sin, present sin, and future sin taken care of? In Christ, and by faith, what happens? What doctrine? Doctrine of imputation. His righteousness is imputed to my account. Therefore, past, present, future, I'm viewed as what? Perfect and holy, even though I am very, 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 very far from it. Correct? So, there's problem number one with this. What's another problem? Anybody see it? He seems to be saying somehow we're making a foundation for defense against temptations which closely follow. Like, does baptism somehow now give you a defense against baptisms or against temptations that are going to follow? Obviously, it doesn't. Does Just because you get baptized, that doesn't mean you now have some super defense against temptation. Right? There's this, I know, the power idea, it never goes away in the world of Christianity, all right? Uh, watch and pray, saith the Lord, lest you fall into temptation. Well, why do I have to watch and pray for fall into temptation if my baptism gave me a defense against it? It's just the never circle nonsense, okay? And the reason I believe why they were tempted was that they fell asleep. So, so that they deserted the Lord when apprehended. And he was continued to stand by him and use the sword, even denied him thrice, for with all the Lord had gone before, that no one untempted shall attain the celestial kingdoms. All right? Don't know exactly what that all, what he wants us to get from that, other than he, I guess he seems to say no one's getting to heaven without being tempted. Okay, but great, but, but I guess we supposedly have a defense against temptation, but we have to watch and pray. Because if we don't watch and pray, then we're going to fall into the temptation. So I don't really know what your baptism is doing for you. But okay, all right. We, the, the, the never-ending circular reasoning that happens sometimes within the history of Christianity. But all right. The Lord himself, for with, after baptism, temptation surrounded, when in the 40 days he kept fast, then some will say, it becomes us to rather to fast after baptism. Well, and who forbids you? unless it be the necessity for joy and the thanksgiving for salvation. In other words, he realizes he's already told us, when should you fast? In the last chapter? Before baptism. Now he's saying, someone may say, well, then why don't I fast after? Because Jesus fasted 40 days after his baptism. Right? So, but he's like, nothing's stopping you. You can go ahead and do that. You can go ahead. Unless you're overcome with joy for your salvation, then you may not want to. All right, everybody see that? But so far as I, with my poor powers, understand, the Lord figuratively retorted upon Israel the reproach that they had cast on the Lord. For the people, after crossing the sea and being carried about in the desert during 40 years, although they were nourished with divine supplies, nevertheless were mindful of their belly and their gullet than of God. Thereupon the Lord, driven apart into desert places after baptism, showed by maintaining a fast for 40 days that the man of God lives not by bread alone, but by the word of God. And that the temptation incident to fullness or immoderation of appetite are shattered by abstinence. Now, I think what he wants to say here is what Jesus was doing. He was trying to demonstrate that after your baptism, this is how you should live because he's showing a condemnation for how Israel acted in a sense after they were baptized in the Red Sea. Then they spent their time living 
40 years in sin. Uh, once again, he's turning it all into a big allegorical picture. Right? 40 years, 40 days, it's connected. Well, there was water. Then when they crossed the Red Sea, Jesus went into water. So now he's got to try to put, paint this all into a big picture. But it doesn't really help us as far as baptism is concerned, does it? Not? Agreed? All right. Therefore, blessed ones, whom the grace of God awaits, when you ascend from that most sacred thought. No, once again, what's significant about that phrase? What is significant about this phrase? This is worth $50. Oh, come on. Think it through. Okay, well, something more practical. There's something much more practical than that. He uses a word before font. Before that. Ascend. What does ascend mean? To go up. That seems to mean you go into the font and you come up out of the font, which, which seemed to imply what kind of baptism? Immersion. Immersion, not sprinkling. Okay. We're looking for those little hints, right? Because everyone will tell you, the early church, they all sprinkled and they all baptized babies and, you, and you're just all ignorant because you don't know church history. And I'm sick and tired of people telling me I don't know church history as someone who has studied church history my whole Christian life. When right here I'm reading Tertullian and he's clearly done what? Don't baptize babies because we don't know what's going to happen. Clearly he gives all the things you're supposed to do before you get baptized, which a baby can't do, and clearly, this is like the second or third time, he clearly seems to imply that we're baptized by immersion. Yeah, right. But I mean, if you're ascending from it, if you're, if you're sprinkling, you're not ascending from it. Right? Unless you're going to do the whole thing that you're released in it, and then they're, but I mean, if you're, like, it's just, no. Yeah, I mean, no, that's, that's clearly a, an immersion kind of language. Agreed? Okay, so I just want you to see that. All right, uh, so God awaits, uh, so therefore, blessed ones, when, for whom the grace of God awaits, when you ascend from the most sacred font of your new birth, so where does the new birth happen? In the, in the font, all right, and spread your hands for the first time in the house of your mother together with your brethren, Ask from the Father, ask from the Lord, that his own uh, specialties of grace and dis distributions of gifts may be supplied you. Ask, saith he, and you shall receive. Well, you have asked and have received, you have knocked, and it has been opened to you. One, I pray, that when you're asking, you be mindful likewise of Tertullian, the sinner. And that's how it ends. I do like the, I, like, I love the way he ends it. Don't you? That's a loss, an awesome ending. Hey, I want you to be mindful of whom? To totally in the center. But isn't it amazing that's how he ends it? Why is it amazing that it ends that way? <laughs> no, because he, what does he demonstrate? That even after baptism... Still a sinner. I mean, well, I mean, he confesses he's still a sinner, right? He's still a sinner. 
So whatever baptism supposedly does, he has to acknowledge I'm still a sinner because baptism doesn't do what? Stop you from sinning. Or, and of course, we would say it doesn't even wash away your sin. It's, it doesn't do any of that. But he, he addresses it as being sacramental. But then yet he, contrad- he, he makes it sound like how, where's the new birth occur? In baptistry, but then at the same time, he's made exceptions that you don't need it. But then he's turned around and made ex- arguments that you have to have it. But then he tells everyone to, to delay it. So why would you delay something that's required for salvation? And, if, and, if, and, and in a weird the way he describes it, hey, baptism you need for salvation, but you should do what? Delay it because someone could grow up and act bad. Well, wait a minute. If baptism is the thing that produces the salvation, wouldn't you give them the baptism so that they'll have the salvation so they won't grow up to be bad? But the, and he seems to say that with baptism comes some kind of power and protection. But then he's like, well, no, not really, because you have to watch and pray. And you have. So we don't really know exactly what he thinks baptism actually accomplishes other than sometimes he seemed to imply that it accomplished a lot and then turned right back around and contradicted that over and over. And even himself, when it's all said and done, had to acknowledge what? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Meaning that baptism doesn't do all the things people claim to do. That's why, again, ultimately, it ultimately ends with this, right? That all of the religious actions, ceremonies that people have come up with, Here's what we know. It doesn't matter how many times you take the Lord's Supper. It doesn't t- matter how many times you're baptized. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible. This is the one thing that's going to be true of everyone's life every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're sinners. And we're going to fall short in what ways? Thought, word, deed, and desire. Right? God's law demands what kind of perfection? Personal. Perfect, exact, entire, perpetual. Has anybody ever accomplished that? No. That's why we are not saved by what we do. God sends his son to die for us, and by placing our faith in that sacrificial work where he was our substitute, what transpires? My sin is imputed to his account. He received the wrath of God on my behalf. And in his righteousness, because he lived 33 years keeping the law perfectly, his obedience is imputed to whom? To me. So I stand before God declared to be perfect, even though I am not. I am saved not by what I do, but by what he did. My only hope of salvation is not in what I do, but what he did. So if you think about it, the Bible gives us a law that what? We can't keep. We can try, and we should pursue. I don't want anyone to think I'm just saying, well, just throw it all out. No, we have to pursue. We're called to pursue it. But the whole reason Christ died is because we can't do it, because if we could do it, he wouldn't need to die. But he did. And so even after 20 chapters, that's a total of 20 chapters, at the conclusion of 20 chapters... All of this talk about baptism does this, doesn't do this, does this, does that. Does, he, he ends with saying, I'm a sinner. Not I was a sinner. A sinner. Right? In other words, he's seeming to describe himself in what posi- state? His present state. Because guess what? 
He still is. And everyone else, we still, we still sinners too. So our only hope is in the finished work. That concludes Tertullian. So we would say, we, could, we can dogmatically assert this. Tertullian, writing in the 200s, would absolutely throw out infant baptism because there's just no way to support infant baptism there. Second, it clearly throws out the idea of sprinkling. It seems to clearly lead to an immersion idea. Third, he himself says delay getting kids baptized because they could grow up to be bad, which makes no sense because supposedly baptism is the thing that fixes it. However, to be fair, he would argue that baptism is a sacrament and it is salvific and it is regenerated. Even though he contradicts that over and 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 over again, right? Which is kind of bizarre. So that leads us then only one document left, Hippolytus, the apostolic tradition. And we're not going to read the whole apostolic tradition. We're just going to find the part on baptism. That's all we're going to do. All right, we'll stop there. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Thankful that we're in a place where we can dive into church history, where others would ignore it. And Lord, I pray that our understanding of what the early church actually said will be far better than what people claim they said. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,